everyone. My name's Josh. And my name's Andy. And this is episode one of Buckeye Dads Discuss. Um, there's an episode zero in the queue if you guys want to go back and listen to that. But to give you a brief introduction to ourselves, uh, Andy and I are two dads that live in Toledo, Ohio, um, and alumni of The Ohio State University. And we're here to talk about what's in the news, politics, coronavirus, sports, parenting, um, a whole host of topics for you. Um, Andy, how's your week been going? Uh, It's been going. We celebrated the second anniversary yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That, That was kind of a big day in the household, so things going well. You know, it both feels like two years is too long and two years is too short when I look back and think of that wedding day. Yes, I feel the exact same way. Sometimes it feels like a lifetime and sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. Though, to be fair, I mean, I was pretty drunk for a good portion of that wedding, so my memory of the event is can be a little hazy. When I, when I looked over and you had the whiskey bottle upside down to show me how empty it was, I knew you were having a good night. Yes, it was a very good night. Um, so yeah, like, uh, like I said, Andy and I, uh, have been friends for a very long time. We went to high school together and college together. Um, we're now both married, have kids, uh, we're moving into the, you know, the boring phase of our lives. Um, but you know, like so many people right now, the, the main issue that's gripping our nation is coronavirus. And that's really what we're going to focus episode one on specifically about how the pandemic has affected our family lives in regards to schooling um, and parenting. So uh, before we dive into our personal stories, we kind of want to give a brief recap of how coronavirus has affected the state of Ohio. Andy, I would say we've been somewhere in the middle, at least, and maybe even a little bit better than that. What would you say? I would say for the size of our state, yeah, I think we're probably a little bit ahead of average. Um, But I think it's probably been a very, very typical experience as far as just what we've done politically and then what of our, I guess, our results kind of look like. I think, yeah, we've been pretty much down the center line as far as cases versus our population, those kind of stats. Yeah, so, I mean, I believe Ohio is the seventh largest state in the country. Um, So we're, you know, we have three major population centers in Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. We're in uh, population center number four in Northwest Ohio and Toledo, Ohio. Um, so we do have quite a few people in the state. Um, I would say from a case perspective, uh, I think over the last seven days, uh, looking at it, cases per capita, we are 10th. Um, but that number has was started low and has come up uh, come up in recent days and we'll kind of go through the progression of what's happened in the state. Uh, But I would not say that Ohio has ever entered the New York city in the early days or the Florida, Texas, California phase, Arizona, uh, Iowa now it seems. So uh, we don't seem to have, have had a crazy outbreak yet. Um, But it's, it's kind of held steady for us. um, I would say. Um, we are definitely taking more of the tortoise approach than the hare approach. We are slow and steady increasing, but yes, we haven't seen the the wild spikes fluctuations like some other places have. Correct. So uh, to just give a bit of background about this, uh, how the states handled it, um, I would say we started well and then had kind of faded down the stretch. 
Governor Mike DeWine is Republican. He's the governor of the state. Uh, he has had very high favorable numbers, favorability numbers um, as this pandemic has gone on. Governor DeWine was the first governor to shut down schools in the country, taking us all the way back to all the way back to March. And so that impacted both your family and my family in a pretty significant way. Um, so he gets credit for uh, shutting schools down very early on. Uh, we shut down non-essential businesses uh, for a couple weeks stretch. We had, uh, you know, pretty uh, constant press conferences, both by him and by Dr. Amy Acton, who was the state's leading public health officer at the time. Um, so I would say definitely Mike DeWine and the state responded well in the early days. What do you think? I think we definitely were ahead of the curve at the beginning. I think some people were maybe shocked by how quickly Ohio was moving versus how many cases we had, because when we were taking these, these moves as a state, our case numbers were not high at all. I think we were probably what, maybe a hundred cases a day that we were increasing by at that yeah. point, it may have even been less. Yeah. Um, he definitely acted very early and it was definitely, you know, a shock to say, okay, you know, it started out and it was primarily really bad in New York city. Um, you know, in the early days, most people would say they're, they didn't know somebody who was affected by coronavirus. Um, but when you shut down schools, I mean, you know, it's not an exaggeration to call this a once in a century pandemic. I mean, certainly there are diseases that have a higher mortality rate. Um, but those diseases are almost always much, much, much less infectious. Um, so, you know, you, you and I grew up and we experienced 9-11 and we experienced the Great Recession. Uh, we experienced whatever you would call these past three and a half years have been. Uh, I, I can I, think of some things. Yes, exactly. I'd have a few choice words to describe them. Um, and now we go through a second recession and a what I am going to stick with, I feel strongly about as a once in a century pandemic, something that's shutting down schools, shutting down businesses, um, and really wreaking havoc in people's lives, the economy, our, our medical system, and all of that. Did you have a specific moment where you, at the beginning, things were very uncertain and things were happening very fast. So was there one specific moment for you that kind of maybe hit you real hard or took your breath away where you just said, whoa, this, this really is like unprecedented times. I, I mean, I really think it was, it was shutting schools down, um, you know, to say, you know, we were probably, you know, somewhere end of third quarter, beginning of fourth quarter, uh, you know, we, we, we finished school in uh, late May, early June, uh, so it, it didn't severely affect the year, but to say, look, you are done with physical school. You are not going in. You're going to hodgepodge piece together an online program and, and whatever, you know, states were able to resort to at the very last minute, um, you know, and, and all of the trickle down effects as far as childcare and what that does. Uh, that was really, uh, you know, the moment for me. What about you? So this will completely shock you just with the history that we have, but it was actually the night, uh, I cannot remember the teams that were playing, but the night the NBA game got canceled as it was about to start. I sat back and cynical me says, there is so much money involved in this. If they are really going to come out and stop this game, 
this is something different that we've never seen before. So it was actually, was, was that the Rudy Gobert test? Yes. So I was watching this basketball game. Uh, if you guys have listened to episode zero, you'll know that I'm the basketball guy and Andy's the hockey guy. I was watching this basketball game um, and it was, there were a couple games, but Dallas was, Dallas was in one of the games uh, because their owner, Mark Cuban, was sitting courtside as he normally does. Um, and he was checking his phone just like everybody else was. And it came across on Twitter that the league was suspending after the night's games concluded. The league was suspending games going forward. Uh, as Andy said, the Utah Jazz Center um, a couple days earlier had coughed on a bunch of reporters' microphones. And then that center ended up testing positive for the coronavirus. Um, and as and as Andy said, um, you know, when a multi-billion dollar sports league says, we're shutting it down, we're not going to have TV money, we're not going to have fans in the seats. I mean, I, that, I mean that, was, that was a crazy night. So, um, as I said, schools got shut down. So, Andy, how did, uh, what did that look like in your household? It seems so long ago, I actually have to think a little bit on it to think what it, what it was like. We got the news on, I believe it was a Thursday that school was going to shut down as of the next Monday. That sounds right. So, so it was, uh, okay, we're in a whole lot of danger and we need to shut down. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, so that, that was probably a night of not very good sleep and a night of, do we send, do we not send? I do think we ended up sending. And so when our original shutdown for my daughter's school was three weeks, it was an extended spring break. So I think they actually, they actually made the call before DeWine shut the schools down long-term spring break was coming up. So it was, we're going to tack on a week or two at the beginning and then just kind of go through spring break and everybody will come back. At that point, I think it would have been early, mid-April. Yep, that sounds uh, very similar to me. Uh, my oldest son, who is now going in the first grade, this uh, affected the end of his kindergarten year. Um, it was coming up on a spring break. Spring break was extended by about two weeks um, to start, and then it ended up being for the rest of the academic school year. And it was just a shock. Uh, I really... We had a pretty good experience. I, I would say as good of an experience as one can have. Uh, my son's kindergartner teacher was a champ as far as uh, putting out uh, content every day for the students online. Uh, so she was actually making videos uh, so sh she could actually teach the kids instead of having the kids just learn uh, via written PowerPoint um, or some kind of document. Uh, she set up uh, Zoom calls at least once or twice a week uh, so the kids could socialize and see their friends. You know, we religiously did his math and reading and uh, writing exercises. He had some science projects. I faked my way through an art project with him, uh, which you can imagine how uh, ridiculous that was. And And so I felt pretty good about it that he was still learning he was still acquiring some new skills and that really it was only you know six weeks or so six to eight weeks of class that were going to be somewhat affected uh you know at that point we didn't know what fall would hold uh if it would be normal or not um so we kind of just said okay this is weird this is scary uh but this shouldn't have an overall huge impact and we kind of made the best of a bad situation 
Uh, I have a second son, uh, three boys. My second boy uh, is autistic. He attends a one-on-one ABA therapy program where he goes five days a week. Um, And for anybody that knows somebody with autism, uh, family, a friend, uh, people know that autistic kids really structure is their, is their life. Uh, they, they really need it. Um, and we only had luckily a couple weeks stretch where they shut down the center to prepare the kids, prepare the classrooms. Uh, it's a lot of one-on-one instruction. So they were able to social distance, um, take temperatures. Eventually the, the faculty were wearing masks. Um, and so he's largely been able to attend his program uh, throughout the pandemic, which I am extremely grateful for because not having that structure is, is bad for him uh, academically and life skills wise, but also just from a, a mood, it, you know, really hits him hard. So we've been incredibly thankful in that perspective. That's great. They were able to move that quickly to get those things in place because that was a time where there was just so much uncertainty, I think, with the world and people were being very, very risk averse at that point. So that's great that his program was able to adapt so quickly. Yeah. And I mean, we just, you know, it's still, you know, it is now September. Um, We really have only started to learn about this disease. You know, we, at first we thought that kids played minimal to zero role in transmission. Uh, There was a big South Korea study that seemed to point to, kids younger than the age of 10 not really transmitting the disease. Uh, since then, it seemed that data has seemed to have been called into question. Um, and it looks like kids now potentially are transmitting the virus, either as well as or even better than adults. And that's something really I feel like the public has struggled with as well. Uh, science puts out its best uh, informed opinion with the data that it has. Uh, but that data and that opinion, you know, that opinion is subject to change. If the data shows something else, shows something new, and it's not changing your mind, it's not being politically correct. Um, it's just trying to make recommendations based on the best information we have at the time. Um, and I, I think the biggest example of that is early on in the pandemic, uh, the CDC came out and they said, we don't really recommend that people wear masks. And, you know, that's probably largely because of an uh, infrastructure issue where nurses and doctors did not have appropriate PPE. So we didn't want the public running out and buying up all the N95 masks uh, so doctors and nurses could still say, stay as safe as possible. Uh, but we know that shortly thereafter, the CDC came out and said, no, just kidding, we do want you to wear a mask. Um, and, this, and there's a ton of data um, in Japan and South Korea and across Europe that says if you wear a mask, if you can hit in the 70, 80, 90% range where you have your population wearing masks, you can control the spread of this disease. Uh, But unfortunately, enough time passed that a certain percentage of the country said, no, that's not for me. I don't don't believe the science. I don't want to do this. Uh, And mask compliance has been an issue that I think has improved, uh, but originally was very rough. I think what you said there was very key. It was. I think there's a lot of people that are just saying, I don't want to do this. I don't even know if it's that people don't understand the roles that masks could play and the benefits we could get from them. I think people 
people in this country have a tough time being told that they should do something, even if it's directly in there and everyone else's best interest. Yes. There's the don't tread on me crowd of people who value their freedom and their, their ability to make their own decisions uh, to the extent uh, of almost everything else. And I'm certainly, you know, willing to listen to that argument, you know, when it's two people over a beer in a bar, uh, just kind of philosophically debating uh, security over freedom. Uh, but when the country is in a grip of, uh, you know, uh, a disease that sure, maybe the mortality rate is only 0.4, 0.5%. You know, when you have 330 million people in the country, that's a lot of dead people. That's a lot of people, you know, we're inching up close to the 200,000 person mark. I believe we're right around there somewhere in the 180 to 200,000 people mark. Uh, I've seen projections that we'll be at 300,000 by the end of the year. And yes, I mean, in the very beginning, there was, oh, why do I need to wear a mask? It's not going to prevent me from getting coronavirus. People not realizing that the purpose of a mask is to prevent you from spreading it to other people. Sure, it might have a small preventative effect on yourself, but that's why the community buy-in is so important to, if everybody's wearing them, then everyone is preventing it from spreading it to other people. Um, And that is how we can really rein in uh, the infection rate for the disease. And I saw so many people, so many people on my Facebook feed with a, Oh, this doesn't work. You know, that the box of N95 says that it's not going to prevent you from catching a disease. Well, again, that's, that's not the point of, of the mask. So I think, I, I think you hit on an important point at the beginning, the CDC guidance that masks don't work. Well, I understand where they were probably coming from. I think that is, looking back in history, that's probably going to be the biggest mistake that was made throughout this because it put us in such a hole of there were people that would have probably been on the fence or leaning towards, I don't want to do this, but maybe I will. And I think that initial guidance probably pushed a lot of those people that might have been on the fence and maybe could have been pushed into, I don't like it, but I'll do it into the firm no category. Yes, I certainly agree with that. Um, I think what goes hand in hand with that is, you know, it gives the appearance of, oh, we were wrong about this. You know, it's we're in the very early stages of the pandemic and right off the bat, we're wrong about something. And so it breeds that, you know, skepticism of experts that a large portion of the country already has in spades, you know, doesn't want to be told by intelligentsia and the experts and the ivory tower people how things should be done or how things uh, how they should lead their life and i think it was a big strikeout i think it was poor messaging uh by the fda the cdc uh, the surgeon general uh the coronavirus task force and what goes hand in hand with that is you know we say no to mask and then yes to mask and then the other thing was what is the realistic time frame for this? So a large portions of the country ended up putting some kind of shutdown effect, uh, in, uh, some kind of shutdown order in effect. Uh, in Ohio, we had at least a, a several week stretch, if not longer, where non-essential businesses shut down. And flat, it was the message was flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. But what people 
maybe didn't realize and what was not communicated very effectively was we're flattening the curve to give our hospitals uh, time to develop capacity to handle patients, to build up uh, a supply of PPE, to build up a, a way to contact trace and put a system in place to test a very, very large number of people. And those last two things we just didn't do. Uh, we did not have robust testing in place. We still, uh, in my opinion, don't have robust testing in place. Uh, and we don't have contact, we don't have a national contact tracing program. So you flatten the curve to lower the amount of cases and then you snuff out the fires by those, by testing and contact tracing. And we didn't put those in place. And then lo and behold, 4th of July rolls around. Everybody gets back together. It's beautiful outside. And, cases start soaring all across the country. That bodes a little bit scary. So we're recording this on September the 3rd and Labor Day weekend is just a few days away. And I'll be curious to see what the results, if we see a similar spike for another long weekend here in Ohio. Yes, I mean, we're already kind of in the wrong direction. Um, and this is, you know, this is obviously the last hurrah for summer. You know, it's you know, that opportunity to have people over and grill out and enjoy the good weather. You know, it's September, as you said, we're getting pretty close to flu season. Um, and we did not experience that in the first time around. Uh, you know, this the pandemic started roughly or so in March, uh, in the March and the April. We're done with flu season for the most part by that point in time. Hospitals don't have to worry about having those respiratory patients as well as coronavirus respiratory patients. Um, and we are coming up real quick uh, into flu season uh, for 2020. Uh, everybody, go out and get your flu shot. Stop listening to this podcast right now. Call your doctor. Get, uh, go to a pharmacy. Get your flu shot. Uh, it's not going to give your kids autism. Uh, it's It might not work completely, but it will uh, lessen your symptoms, even if it doesn't completely give you immunity. Um, and it's going to be really important this year going into coronavirus and flu season. So but that's my advice to you people. I have nothing to add other than I just could not possibly agree more with that. So our school year ends, summer rolls around, you know, most people who are parents know that summer is a time where school's not in session and they need to pull out their all the stops for babysitting. You might send your kids to daycare. You might have uh, extended family uh, who watches your children. And so we're all used to that. Uh, summer rolls around. It's a bummer. Um, you know, we're, we're spending time outside, but not with other people. We're not doing all the activities that we love to do. My wife and I are dinner and a movie people. Whenever we can scrape together a babysitter, you know, uh, it's it's go out to eat, enjoy a nice meal, go to a movie, get a pop, get some snacks, and uh, and sit in a in a cold dark room for two and a half hours and watch something great. And uh, I haven't been to a movie in I don't know since February, maybe February or March. Um, I've eaten at a restaurant outside twice and zero times inside since March. I am a pretty resistant person to cabin fever, but I'm starting to feel it a little bit. We have have been similar. We haven't eaten even outdoors. We haven't 
even touch the subject of going out to eat in at the beginning of summer the kids both have birthdays in october and they said can we go out to eat for our birthdays and at in may i said yeah probably we'll probably be okay by your birthdays and now i don't think there's probably a chance in the world that we'll be eating out for their birthdays um it, it we're big travel people we like to go see other places we travel around ohio a lot we're big museum people. So I think that's been the thing that's killed us the most. So for the last couple of summers, we've done zoos and museums. We'll go to Columbus, we'll go to Cincinnati, we'll go to Cleveland. And it's been killing certainly me. I, I think the kids too, to just be stuck outdoor activities that don't have a crowd. I mean, it's try a park, try a new park. We actually drove to Cleveland a couple of weeks ago just to go to a different park. So we loaded the kids up for a two hour drive just to say, Hey, We'll look at a park somewhere else because we've done everything nearby. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's definitely been tricky to keep the kids stimulated and entertained uh, while trying to still be safe. Um, for sure. And I mean, we've, and again, people people have to do what's best for their family. Um, I'm by no means saying that Andy and I have been saints about it. Uh, our social circle is still decently big, probably bigger than I would normally feel comfortable with because my wife and I both work outside the home. So we're still having family come over, uh, watch the kids, uh, watch the kids for us while we're working. Uh, so we're still seeing our immediate families, you know, and it's not a complete lockdown. And I, and there's some people who are still going about and say, you know, I'm going to wear a mask and wash my hands and, you know, yeah, I will take some time every so often. I need to do it for my mental sanity and I don't have anything against those people. Um, the people who drove me crazy were before Ohio had their mask mandate. I would go into the grocery store. I would go into the pharmacy and I would walk in and it was before the, before the Ohio mask mandate, you were in the minority. If you were wearing a mask, at least in the, in the places that I was visiting. We actually started kind of having an informal ranking in the house of where'd you go to this? Because we would go shopping. One of us would go shopping maybe once or twice a week. So it would be, where'd you go? And what was the mask rate? And we would try and plan around times and places that we knew mask usage was more likely to be happening. I mean, it's, it's insane to me. Like I realize that it's never been a part of American culture. Um, you know, it, it is a part of culture in some East Asian countries. And um, I do hope that there is at least some, a portion of our population that like for example let's say next it's next winter and it's the flu season and maybe i feel a little tickle in the back of my throat or i have a stuffy nose and i'm just going grocery shopping i'm not doing anything out with the family or whatever i'm probably gonna wear a mask you know we have all these masks in our house and why not use them i mean if i can, can do my part uh to prevent the spread of infection and all it involves is just putting a piece of cloth over my face we're not asking people to sign up for the draft. We're not sending people overseas to fight in the war. All you have to do is put a piece of cloth over your face. This is not that hard. This is not a big ask. And it was so frustrating, so rage inducing when I would go into a place and I would see people, not just the people who didn't have them, the people who would look at you when you were wearing one to think, Oh, look at this guy over here, Mr. Big shot wearing a mask. Like, those people drove me insane. And the most frustrating part of the entire thing is that mask still was not protecting you. It was protecting them. Yes, absolutely. So um, like I said early on, uh, I, we give DeWine credit 
um, for how he started early on in the pandemic. I would say my personal opinion is that he kind of let go of the reins uh, maybe a little too quickly. The, uh, we did not have a mask mandate um, in place right away. It was a mask recommendation. And guess what happens when it's just a recommendation? I think my challenge with the initial set, so I think DeWine laid out a really nice plan at the beginning, and he laid out a real, fairly clear general objectives of this is what we want to see. We want to see cases go down for a couple of weeks before we're going to start, you know, easing off the restrictions a little bit. We want to see hospitalization numbers go down before we start easing off on some of the restrictions. And then the restrictions started coming off and those numbers were still on the rise. Yes. I mean, it feels to me like we got to the point where we, we started strong and then when the economic impact of having businesses shut down uh, went longer and longer, we said, okay, you know, when push comes to shove, we're going to restart the state. Uh, we're going to put this recommendation in place. Again, we closed schools down in March. Uh, the mass mandate in Ohio didn't go into effect until July 23rd. Um, and if you look at cases in Ohio, you once you put that mass mandate in place and after a couple of weeks since it's been in place, cases start going down, uh, not maybe super quickly, uh, but we at least start going in the right direction. Um, and that's why it really frustrated me. We, we had a couple months span where it was just a mass recommendation and people still protested it. Uh, you know, you have that infamous picture where people are pressed up against the glass. Uh, it looks like a scene in a zombie movie and they're all together. I'm sure a bunch of people spread COVID uh, on that day when they were all protesting. And all they're protesting is just a simple fact of wear a mask and do your best to social distance, cut your social circle down, maybe not go out to the bar this weekend, stay inside. Um, I realize that there are a lot of small businesses impacted by this decision. The federal response has not been nearly close enough to sufficient, in my opinion. Um, and that's a whole, a whole big old can of worms that we can get into at some other point. Um, but I understand that there's an economic impact. There are going to be businesses that will be forever uh, irrevocably harmed, shut down. Um, I get all that, and that is a very painful thing, but that is going to happen during a a once-in-a-century pandemic, and the way to make that better is to do the public health things um, instead of protesting them. I think the biggest challenge I have with how everything went down kind of is – so we, like you said, DeWine was ahead of the curve. It was kind of like we got out to like a 14-point lead in a football game real quick, and then we just did nothing. We didn't build on the positives that we made at the beginning. So it was a lot, people were making a lot of sacrifices in that initial strong lockdown portion. And then the problem was once that initial strong, nobody's going anywhere lockdown let up, people swung totally back the other way instead of gradually building on the progress that we had made by shutting down for the three, four weeks that we did as a state. We did nothing with that time that we had saved up. We did nothing with the progress that we made and our numbers just shot right back up to the point that we almost might have, might as well have not locked down so strongly in the beginning. Um, that is a hundred percent right. That, that was the feeling that my wife and I would discuss. We would come home uh, both of us worked uh, 
uh, both of our businesses were declared essential. Um, even though my wife's, it was a little bit of a sketchy justification. Um, but we both stayed open. So we were both still working we never had to deal with getting on unemployment, uh, during the pandemic, but you know, we shut down, we shut down schools. We really did our best for a good six to eight week spread. And then, you know, we, we said to hell with this. And then it just felt like we went right back to, to the beginning, um, which is a good segue right to the incoming school year. Um, so summer is rolling around just like when we were kids, you know, it, it feels like school's gonna, is still forever away. And then all of a sudden it is, it is back and we are ready to go. So you and I are at uh, slightly different points. You've been, uh, your, your daughter has been in school for a decent amount of time already. Uh, my son just started earlier this week. So do you kind of want to walk us through the, the lead up to the start of the school year and how the school year has gone so far? So we didn't have a whole lot of news until I would say maybe the middle of July, we got some sort of communication. I believe it was an email that they were fully hoping to be open five days a week. And we said, okay, great. And as we watched the numbers continue to balloon, we said, probably not going to happen. Um, so then we get the first draft of the plan at the, it was the last week of July of here's what our plan's going to be. And the plan claimed to be following CDC guidelines. So I, you know, pulled up CDC guidelines on one screen, the plan on the other screen and said, I don't know what CDC guidelines you guys are reading, but these are absolutely not in line with the CDC guidelines. So it was a few changes to, to coming into the school at the beginning of the day. And that's about it. Um, they were not mandating mask usage at that point. They masks were optional at that point except when students were in the hallway, but in the classroom, masks were optional because this was before the statewide mask mandate for schools came into to being. So that was a really tough time in our house because I think we've taken probably a much more conservative approach than the average Ohioan and clearly a much more conservative approach than the average parents at the school where we attend, where we send our child. So it's, it's, it's been rough. Um, because we don't really think that the school is doing everything they can, but also we didn't have any access to that information until about two weeks before school started. Yeah. You and I have had some, you know, offline conversations in the, in the past couple of weeks about, uh, leading up to the school year. Um, yeah, I can't imagine, um, you know, early on, um, as we were leading up in the, the school year, uh, DeWine said that masks were mandated for four kids from third grade to 12th grade, I believe either fourth grade to 12th grade or third grade to 12th grade. So my son initially was excluded from that going in the first grade. Uh, but at some point, uh, DeWine changed his mind and included uh, K through two students as well in the mask mandate. So pretty much everybody uh, was required to have one on, uh, which again, I can only imagine once kids are actually, back on site and having a kindergartner try to keep their mask on and then multiply that by, you know, 20. Uh, that sounds insane to me. Um, but I, I mean, again, I understand we're trying to do what we can to prevent transmission of the disease. So it's been how, how many weeks now has it been for you? I 
believe we're in week three here. And no communication about any any cases or anything like that from the school yet? Absolutely no communication. Um, I would like in the communication we've got really to, uh, it's like reading President Trump's tweets. It's great. We're doing great. Everything's great. And we're the greatest. <laughs> oh. I, can't, I can't imagine that that's the, the reality, but I kind of get the impression that people are probably not testing and kind of going with the theory of if we're not testing, we're not having cases. Yeah, because that's 100% how testing and disease work. Um, yeah, uh, and and I don't really blame the testing thing. Like, So, again, coming back to the flu season, in a couple months, we're going to be at the point of the year where every kid comes home with a runny nose or a cough or a sore throat, and 99% of parents did not go to medical school. And so is that are those symptoms the common cold? Are they the flu? Are they coronavirus? Are you going to test your kid every single time they come home with a runny nose? No, no. Uh, the overwhelming amount of people is is going to be no. Um, you know, we already live in uh, classrooms where kids are sick, but there's no other childcare options. You go to school. You know, unless you, you know, a lot of parents, it's unless you have a fever, you know, unless you're throwing up, you're, you're going to school because I don't have anywhere else to send you. Um, and so I can't, you know, people I'm sure are trying to be as flexible as possible. They're going to know that they're going to need childcare. They might have to just allocate all of their PTO days for sick days to stay home for themselves, for their kids. Um, but I can't imagine what the winter is going to be. My, my The best case scenario is everyone's wearing a mask and washing their hands and transmission of everything is way down. Um, but if that doesn't happen, are you going to shut this, you know, a class down when somebody has a fever? Uh, is everybody going to go home? We're going to require testing. I don't feel like any school district has that, has those guidelines in place. No, I think there are some general guidelines uh, at the school that, that we send our child to about what to do if there's a confirmed positive test. But again, I don't know that people are going to necessarily get to the point where they're having confirmed positive tests. I think it's going to be a, what you just described of there's some kids that are definitely sick and not feeling well. It may be, you know, it could be one of many things. So I don't know how useful those guidelines are going to be if people aren't actually going out and getting testing. Absolutely. You're a couple weeks into it. Um, my uh, lead up to school has been a, quite a bit different than yours and not really in a good way. Um, I, my oldest goes to public school um, in my school district and we have gone through, I don't know, maybe four or five or six different schedule changes. Um, I, before my kids started school, I was like, you know, I'm going to do my best to be relaxed. You know, I've made fun of helicopter parents and I'm not going to be the person that's in my teacher's classroom, emailing the principal, you know, he'll be fine. He's a smart kid. He doesn't need me doing that. Let's, let's learn some independence. Um, but my son has not even really started first grade and I've already sent one email to the school district. So I'm not going to read this, but to give you a sense 
of how much the plan has changed for my school district. We were told, similar to you, on July 10th, that our plans were a green plan, where students are in class five days a week, taking precautions, wearing masks, hand washing, uh, social distancing as best as possible, but they will be on site the whole school all five days a week, and that's a green plan. That's best case scenario. I was hopeful that the state would be uh, in a condition where we could do that, but it became very clear very quickly that that was not really going to be possible. Uh, then they said we have the red plan. The red plan is five days a week. We are virtual. School will be all online. Uh, you know, it's a very safe route. Uh, it's not great for, you know, our kids learning social skills, um, you know, kind of overall just mental well-being, seeing your friends, being able to run around at recess, um, actually getting face-to-face -face interaction for learning, but it's safe. So, okay, that's plan two. Um, and then the yellow plan, which is called the hybrid plan, would essentially be students would be in class for two days a week. Um, and then the other days of the week, they would be at home. It would be a mix of on-site and virtual planning. So on July 10th, we were told we are not planning on implementing this hybrid model. It's going to be too hard from a childcare perspective. Um, you know, my son was uh, put into the Wednesday and Thursday uh, slot. So he would attend class every Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Friday would be, everybody would be home for online instruction. And then Monday and Tuesday, he would be online. Um, on days where Monday is a holiday, it would shift to Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday, um, or, or Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday. Um, so on any given week, he might be in school on different days. So they told us, we really don't want to do this. This isn't a good plan, but it's an option that we're going to present just in case we need it. So, okay, it's July 10th. We're still, you know, a month and a half away from school starting, a little bit more than a month away from school starting. No big deal. Five days later, the school district emails us and says, you know how we said we're not going on the yellow plan, this hybrid plan? Well, we're going on the hybrid plan. And so, okay, I mean, I'm not thrilled, but at the same time, we still have a good amount of time to prepare. It's safer than students being in class all five days a week, which I feel, you know, I was pretty nervous about and think that we're not at the point where we should really be doing that. So, okay, hybrid plan, no big deal. Uh, three weeks later, August 7th, the Lucas County Board of Health meets and they say, Ohio should start all virtual. It is our recommendation that until October 1st, you should all be virtual based on the state of the of Ohio and, and how we're doing coronavirus rise. Okay, well, that announcement goes out and the school says we're going to follow the Board of Health and we're going to start all virtual. Okay, I agree with that. That's what the Public Health Board says. Okay. One week later, the school says in an email that contains no words, just says, see the attached flyer. I open up the flyer and it says, we know the public health board says, let's go on the red plan. We're actually going to go on the green plan. So students are going to come back all five days a week. And it was at this point that my head exploded. And I said, I'm going to break my rule. I'm going to email a district 
because what in the God's green world could the justification be for the health board saying you should start all virtual and for you to say, no, we're going to bring kids back all five days a week. Why develop the yellow plan if the scenario that seems pretty tailor-made for the yellow plan, they say we're going green. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that was basically the gist of my email. So on July 16th, uh, the county that we live in moved to uh, what the state calls a red status, where it's a severe outbreak. Um, we have not left that designation. It is now September 3rd, and we are still in that designation. Um, and so I wanted to know what the justification was for ignoring the public health board's advice and going completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. And so I sent this email not expecting a reply at all. I didn't get a reply, but then, I don't know, maybe another 10 days later, we all get an email that says, well, hold on just a second. We're not going to do the green plan. We're going to do the yellow plan. So we're going to start, we're going to push back the start of the year. We're going to go completely online for the first two weeks, and then we are going to go hybrid for the whole first quarter whole rest of the first quarter and that is where we are still at today knock on wood what a journey i was gonna say did i just blow your mind there or put you to sleep because i i just can't i can't deal it didn't put me to sleep but i i, I tried to have a little color code off to the side and i like <laughs> green and red highlighters ran out about halfway through the the switches so oh, i could feel and, my blood pressure rising as I was giving that very long, tortured explanation. And that is where we are at right now. I am in, I am finishing up week one, uh, my son and I, of our all virtual plan. So we will have one more virtual week next week. And then the week after, he will go on site Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, but it was quite a journey to get there. How unbelievably complicated for parents who need childcare, which is essentially everyone. I know in this day and age, I mean, it's the two, you know, if you have two parents in your household, it's very likely that both of them are working just to survive in this day and age. Um, so whether it's daycare, uh, which is now finally fully opened back up um, and is at full capacity or, or extended family or, you know, a, a babysitter, it's just, you know, it's just so difficult to say, okay, they're going to be in school five days a week and maybe your babysitting needs are lessened and then they're going to be all virtual five days a week and now you need maximum childcare along with somebody who's going to sit next to your kid at a computer and make sure they get online to their Zoom meeting to attend their classes. Like it's not just childcare at this point. It's also dipping your toe in the education front. The, to make sure that your kid isn't left behind by, you know, being a kindergartner that has to use a Chromebook, which, to be fair, my son seems to have no issue with whatsoever. But that was how many switches just over the course of the month of July? That was, if I'm counting right, I think it was five? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just can't. It was green to yellow to red to green to yellow. Hopefully we have finally arrived. It seems that they're going to, you know, they're going to break plans down uh, at least quarterly. You know, obviously if something crazy were to happen in the state, um, if a vaccine released tomorrow and everyone took it, which 
no way in the world that would happen. Uh, you know, they would say we could move back to the green plan uh, sooner than that. Uh, but it seems like the first quarter is going to be stuck in this hybrid mode and we'll evaluate on a quarter by quarter basis. I think with school and a lot of things, we've really had a, a big challenge of trying to balance predictability versus flexibility as far as, of course, people want to be responsive and not be locked down any longer than they have to. But at the same time, maybe to have the plans run quarter to quarter instead of, you know, Wednesday morning to Wednesday afternoon where you're switching between, you know, the, the plans in the same day. I think it's been that that's been the biggest challenge as a parent in a work setting to just, I'd rather know it's something bad than just to live day to day with the uncertainty of having no idea what's coming next. And I think a lot of people are just so focused on trying to be flexible that they're not giving people that predictability that people really need to be able to live their lives. Absolutely. And I, I feel for teachers, I, you know, the teaching population is an older population. I can't imagine, you know, being in my fifties or sixties and suddenly going from in-person to uh, virtual. And I'm sure, and trust me, there are certainly some 20 and 30 something year old teachers who are dealing with that same issue right now. And I feel for, you know, uh, school districts and, and superintendents and principals. I know this can also not be easy, but we had the whole summer and you had to at least think that the worst case scenario was a, a def definite possibility and to just not know exactly, uh, you know, what your you know thresholds were going to be as far as cases in your state, um, cases in your county, what your plans are going to be. It's just been really hard to handle. Um, and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we, we've plateaued and it won't be as bad going forward. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Definitely a hope, but I, it's just hard to believe that that's going to be the case as people get, as it gets colder, people get pushed indoors and we push kids into in-person school. Yeah. I, I can't argue with that at all, unfortunately. Okay. So I kind of want to shift to something a little more lighthearted. You and I both went to Ohio state uh, we did not have a once-in-a-century pandemic when we were on campus, thank goodness. But let's, uh, you know, get in a time machine and send our college selves to Ohio State in 2020 when there's a pandemic going on. Ooh. So how do you think we would have reacted if we were incoming freshmen or even, you know, sophomores or juniors and we were on campus during a pandemic? Do I think the way that I would have thought when I was 18 or do I bring my brain from today into my experience? Nope. You're, you're, you are 18 in this scenario. Uh, you do not have all the worldly wisdom uh, that have you, that you have accumulated in these, in this last decade and a half. So you are 18. Uh, you just, you're wondering what this coronavirus thing is. And all of a sudden you're back on campus. What do you think is going to happen? If I'm being completely truthful, I think I'm exactly the kind of person that I hate if I go back in time. <laughs> I don't think I'm wearing a mask. I don't think I'm changing my life. Yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, I was uh, the person who would walk through our dorm and bare feet. 
Um, <laughs> I once got thrown out of the dining hall that connected to our dorm because I did not have shoes on in a place that people were eating. Um, I don't even think it was so simple as you got thrown out. You were upset that you got thrown out. It wasn't even, yeah, I should have put some shoes on. You came out quite upset at that the, they had the gall to throw you out for not wearing shoes, if I remember correctly. Andy, it was my God-given right to walk into that dining hall just inside. I was at least wearing socks that day. Uh, normally, that is not the case. But, yes, yeah, so I, I feel like it's it's – 10 days and I, and I have contracted coronavirus when I'm there. Yes. I totally would have been the person who forgot my mask in my dorm room. And yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in the first wave of people. So speaking of Ohio state, I just pulled a couple articles uh, to see what life is like on campus right now. Um, testing. And Ohio State, we've been in about the 6% positivity rate. That was as of a couple days ago. That's pretty high. Um, All in-person organization events at Ohio State are suspended amid COVID. Uh, The the Lantern, or no, the Columbus Dispatch, excuse me, um, has a story that a Ohio State student who was exposed to coronavirus she had to move from let me get her let me get the dorms correct because if you've been on Ohio State's campus, you know how long of a walk this is. This person it was one of the dominoes, wasn't it? This person lived in Smith Steve, so South Campus, uh, and they were temporarily moved in the Lawrence Tower on Lane Avenue. Andy, tell people how long of a walk it is from about I don't know, 12th Street or so to to Lane Avenue. That's got to be, at the pace that I walked, probably 20 minutes. I would say at the pace that you walked with the big old big bird legs, at least 15. Man, I, I think it's even, I think it's even longer than that. Like, I think I could do it in 20 minutes because I did that walk freshman year. Um, hopefully my mother would never listen to this podcast, uh, but I did. Try to be good Catholic at the beginning, and I w- I lived on South Campus in Bradley Hall, the church, the Catholic Church, uh, right outside Ohio State's campus is on Lane Avenue. Uh, it's about on High and Lane, and man, if I left any, uh, you know, with twenty five minutes or less to spare, it was dicey to get in there before the opening song was done, um, and. Not going to lie, I think the 25-minute walk contributed to my declining and eventual zero attendance at church when I was in college because uh, it was much easier to just go down to the lobby and play cards and hang out than uh, walk all the way across campus uh, to Mass on Sundays. No chance you were waking up before Mass started if that wasn't your destination either. Oh, well, I was totally going to like the 6 o'clock p.m. Mass. So there was no way in the world I was going to Mass before noon on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is, that is the long, that is a very long walk. Uh, that is a very different part of campus. I ended up, um, again, my major was, uh, biomedical science. So I was on the South side of campus, uh, my last half of Ohio state, uh, pretty exclusively. And if I had to be relocated to 
uh, a dorm over on the north side of campus, 25 minute walk, that would have been all kinds of trouble for my going to class schedule, which is already imperiled as it was. I can't imagine that the dorms probably have the same feel that they did when we were there anyway, but man, there was just something different about North campus and South campus anyway. Well, I mean, North campus sucked and South campus was where it was at. So hundred percent correct. Oh man. South campus, man. All of, uh, many of the dorms on South campus are connected by a series of underground tunnels, uh, for people who have never been on campus and, there were certainly times where we would go down into the tunnels, go into other dorms, steal furniture out of their lobbies, and then bring them back into our dorm. Uh, one such plan, Andy, I think you had gone home for Christmas uh, at this point, but I believe it was our sophomore year. Uh, I was there for this. Oh, you were there for this. Okay, well, you want to go ahead and tell the story then? I, I I was working for the residence hall at that point, so I was the one oh that ended gosh. up getting the call and getting yelled at for this. You were. That's right. You were. So we had developed some sort of a rivalry with, with the connected buildings. that we. So we were in Bradley, and it's Patterson, right, was the yes. connected building? Correct. So we had developed some sort of rivalry with another floor in Patterson, and we stole every piece of furniture out of there study room and brought it back to our study room yeah and in particular the one the one incident that sticks out in my mind was it was at the was christmas break most of the dorms had emptied out i had stayed uh for another week or so to work in the lab that i was working in and we had taken a bunch of furniture including a couch into our lobby area and it was one weekend morning uh i was in the lobby with our friends and your roommates who we affectionately call the twins, uh, quite characters. And all of us were shirtless in pajama pants working on a puzzle when the, uh, the head of the dorm and her assistant and one or two RAs came into our room and asked us if we knew where this furniture had come from. And we all just gave her deer in the headlights looks and, we were told that the furniture had to be relocated and the, and the facility people came in to do that. Um, and, you know, we all had a good laugh about it afterwards, but uh, it was a very jarring, I'm sure it was a very jarring scene uh, for the, for the person who lived in our dorm and, and came into that spectacle. So. I think the thing that killed us was we left a couch in the stairwell for too long. And I think it became a bit of a fire hazard. And I think that's where it went from, uh, um, all right, these guys are just being idiots. To maybe we got to take some action here. Oh man. So yeah, I would say, uh, we're both getting COVID in the first month of being on campus. That's, that's my final verdict. 100% true. And I'm probably not getting tested and I'm probably not doing anything to treat it. And I'm, there's probably a decent chance that I die. <laughs> I mean, just thinking of how close quarters it was. I mean, so Andy and I lived in the same dorm our freshman year and sophomore year. We were a group of very cool people who decided to come back our sophomore year instead of move off campus. Uh, there was a, a, a whole group of us who claimed all of the large rooms on the fourth floor. Uh, and I, for the very first time in my life, my sophomore year of college had my own room 
the single in Bradley, Room 420, Make Your Jokes Now, uh, was probably Broom Closet is generous, I would say. Um, you could barely a Broom open... Closet would be wider. Yes, that is true. Uh, you could barely open my door without hitting my bed. There was room for the door to open and the bed, and that was the end of the room. Um, but I, I savored having my own room uh, for the first time ever. I would go hang out in the lobby or all the other rooms and then have my own place and not have to deal with everyone else's shit. Uh, so that was very nice. And then our junior and senior years, you and I uh, were not roommates, but we lived in the same apartment complex uh, just down the street from where we dormed um, and lived there for two years. Had a great time. Should say we had a great time until the end anyway. Yes, until the end. Um, I would walk into your guys' place around dinner time usually, see what kind of meal I could bum off you guys. You know, we'd hang out and, uh, and yeah, it was a very, you know, people often, you know, say, oh yeah, college was the best four years of my life. And I, I don't really subscribe to that theory. Um, I, you know, I'm having a pretty get, damn good time right now um, and, and have been for a while. Uh, but it's definitely in the point in my life where it was the most fun to the least responsibility. And uh, those were very, very uh, nostalgic days uh, looking back now. Those last couple of years we had a blast. You were like a cat outside the door, man. <laughs> we would get to cook. At, I don't know how you knew we were cooking, but you would show up every time. Hey, guys, what's up? Yeah, come right. on in. I really did have a sixth sense for it. It was, it was pretty, it worked out pretty well for me. We did. We had a great time in that place. So Andy, I think kind of the last thing that we want to touch on today is just, you know, we talked about the schooling plan. Um, You know, we're going to ride it out as best as we can. Hopefully everyone stays healthy. Um, But there's also the kind of that, you know, social component to this. So, um, you know, my son is just entering first grade. Uh, it, he has lots of friends from his kindergarten class who, you know, they would play during recess. Um, you know, not a lot of people he hung out with necessarily outside of his classroom yet. We were getting to the point where we would have play dates, but not a ton. He still has lots of cousins his own age that he can play with. Um, so the social component wasn't necessarily huge for me, but there was certainly uh, one can I go back to school? When can I see my friends again? How did that go in your house? Yeah, so my kid's a little bit older, so definitely had some of those more established friendships at this point. One thing that I thought that was pretty cool that they started doing was they started organizing their own Zooms or asking their parents to organize their own Zooms outside of the the school Zoom time. So they would Zoom every once in a while. And then they have school provided emails. So they, they call it texting, but they would email each oh. other back and forth. And the, so the computer would be set up in the house and it would be, you know, she would wait for the, the Gmail to turn black and see that it was something new. But And they called it their texts, but they would actually just email back and forth. So built a little bit of those writing skills and then was also something to look forward to. Well, that's good. Um, any... Uh... Any crazy Zoom stories uh, from your time uh, in the pandemic? So I've been working remotely since the middle of March. I've gone into the office maybe a handful of times. 
So my job's pretty portable. So I've been on Zoom constantly. So, so much Zoom that I'm absolutely tired of Zoom. But I also, I have a son that's three and of course loves seeing his own face on the Zoom. So <laughs> of course. I'll, I'll be in a meeting and then all of a sudden over my shoulder, shoulder I'll just see a hand start moving or I'll see a head start moving. Or there was one time where he was doing somersaults in the back of a meeting where I'm meeting with a family that I work with and like seven other professionals and he's just (laughs) doing somersaults in the back. And I have that wonderful moment of, do I just continue on like nothing's happening and see if anybody wants to point it out or do I put it on mute and have everybody in this meeting watch me yell at my kid. Uh, the, The best moment we had though was, so I tend to, to do my meetings in the basement. I've kind of taken the basement over as my workspace. So I hear the step, him coming down the stairs while I'm in this meeting again with, with another family and, and probably six or seven other professionals. And he says, walks up real quietly where everyone can hear and says, dad, dad, I pooped and I need you to wipe my butt right now. <laughs> Phenomenal. So I, I throw the headphones on and, and obviously mute the picture and say, guys, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> that is that is wonderful. Um, they they really don't tell you before you have a kid how much bodily fluids you're gonna you're gonna be exposed to. It's just it's unbelievable. Not nonstop bodily fluids, unfortunately. But I, I have to respect the way he did it. He came up very politely, very quietly, because he knew I was on a meeting and tried to just get my my attention specifically. He didn't make a show of it, which I think made it all the funnier. Oh, for sure. That's a gold star right there. For sure. Um, I don't really have anything. Apparently, on the very first uh, Zoom call of my son's first grade, uh, one of his classmates dropped the F-bomb. Uh, nice. So, you know, hey, I'm it makes me happy that I'm not the only parent that can't restrain their ability to swear in front of their children. Um, my children have heard everything under the sun between my wife and I, and I don't know if he knows that they're bad words and just knows he shouldn't say them. Uh, I've never really had a, a, one of my children dropped a crazy swear word incident yet, but I'm sure it's coming at some point. I have definitely had those. (laughs) I have had those moments with the little guy um and i think the worst part of it is he's he's dropped f-bombs in absolute perfect context and it totally made sense and it's something i would have said and there was a part of me that's said i'm a terrible parent what am i doing but man there was a part of me that was also pretty proud because he used it well (laughs) yeah i mean when it's when you have the you know the syntax right you know it's just what can you say but but good job if you're gonna do it do it right (laughs) <laughs> well that's great um all right i think that's gonna bring us to the end of episode one uh we went really in depth in the coronavirus in ohio uh how that's affected our school plans um next episode uh you know in the industry they call us a teaser you and i are going to be talking about uh, coronavirus and the sport that you and I hold dear football. Can't wait. And Andy, I'm, you know, I, I was thinking maybe we needed to have this episode pushed out already. Uh, you know, the, I thought the college football season was really right around the corner. Uh, but this, the situation is really changing by the day. 
Absolutely. I, I've heard somewhere that we're on the one yard line for getting Big Ten football back. So I'm as soon as we get off here, I'm going to go flip on the Ohio State game that I have to assume is on. Yeah, uh, I read on Twitter apparently that uh, the douchebag that is Clay Travis played a large role in Donald Trump calling the Big Ten uh, commissioner to try to get him uh, to start the season. I've also read reporting today that we are nowhere close to starting in October and that that doesn't seem feasible. But I have in our show notes from the Andrew that there is no way in the world that college football is happening this year. And now I, I... in the Big Ten specifically, and now, now I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I have no idea what's going on. I, like you said, it, everything is changing every day. I think, and I, I put those notes in there maybe a week ago, and I think I'm going to eat my words real quick, probably. And by the time next week is comes around, who knows? You, you could very well be right, or you know, we could have a game on the schedule. I really have no feel for it whatsoever. No idea. So we're going to talk about uh, the impending college football season. Um, We might touch on some NFL. Andy, what's your opinion on college versus pros? Honestly, I watch more. This may shock you, but I watch more NFL these days than I do college. I just, the length of the games, here's another teaser for you. The length of the games in college, it is just too much for me anymore. Yeah, I have been on a a seesaw. when we were in college, it was college football, hands down. There no competition. Um, and that goes without saying when you're on Ohio State's campus. Um, but I have certainly had periods, especially later on in my adult life, where the NFL, fantasy, gambling. Um, I grew up in Maine, and we moved to Toledo when I was six. I don't really have a pro team. Um you know, the, the Lions sucked, the Browns sucked, the Bengals sucked. Uh, and so I never really attached myself to a football team. And I still don't have a pro team. Uh, but the fantasy element, uh, you know, just it being the professional league and football being played at the highest level, there, there have been some years where I've watched more NFL. Um, but regardless of how much college football I'm watching, always watching the Buckeyes, always watching the big SEC game, the playoffs games, and I'd say – Lately, last year, and I think this year, these years are going to be college years for me. Well, that'll work out to be a good balance because I think my pendulum has swung probably pretty far into the NFL direction, so that'll offer a nice balance. Good. So um, we'll talk about college and all the craziness. NFL seems like it's going to start, and we're going to we're going to start uh, the the year. Who knows uh, how far we'll get uh, if we're going to complete it or not. Um, and I think, uh, next week we'll break out some, some top fives. I'm thinking one of us gives the top five, uh, some top five Ohio state moments in our personal history. And what goes hand in hand with being an Ohio state fan is cheering against Michigan. So I think maybe we'll also pair it up with a top five biggest Michigan fails. Oh, uh, since we that'll started be a college. Th- that will be a tough list to curate to get it down to five. And honestly, I'm not sure which list I'm more excited for. It's got to be the fails, right? I, I think it has to be. Uh, we have a national championship since you and I started college, but it still do. might it still might be the fails. 
All right, everyone. That's going to wrap up this episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. You guys have a good day. Stay safe, Ohio. Buckeye Dads Discuss is a podcast hosted by Andy and Josh. It's edited by April. Uh, You can find us on social media at Buckeye Dads on Twitter. And you can email the show at BuckeyeDadsDiscuss at gmail.com.